This morning we are going to inform the American dream of what it's really about. I feel like we're all pretty ingrained and pretty caught up and pretty, I don't know, infiltrated by the world in so many ways, uh, multiple times throughout the week, multiple times throughout our day. We watch things, we listen to things, we experience things, uh, and we become deluded in one sense. And um, so I want us to uh, dive into our last message in this series um, entitled The Scary American Dream. Whether you're a student, a stay-at-home mom, retired, just beginning, maybe in the middle of a, a workplace career, this series is designed to help us accept our God-given assignment. Today we want to look directly at the American dream, and we want to redefine that idea of what this American dream is really all about. The idea of finding the right job and working that job or career to the point where, where I have everything that makes me happy so I can sit back and enjoy what I've accomplished. I believe we need to realize that the American dream is actually a bit of a nightmare. We want to inform the American dream this morning from three passages of scripture. And um, we're going uh, to try to help the American dream learn from these passages of scripture. Hopefully we can do that surrounded by planets. Um, have you named the planets yet? I think this is Earth. It's the green one. Mars is... It could be over there. It might be over there. I'm not sure which it is. Pluto might be over here. I don't know. I don't know. Just like to name them. This is this is USS Booger, though. This was definitely uh, named this week or yesterday, I should say. Um, it's fun to worship under the stars. <laughs> it's awesome. So we're going to inform the American dream, and we're going to try to teach this American dream from a few passages of scripture. The first one is found in Luke chapter twelve. I want you to follow me to these places. There's going to be three of them that we're going to really kind of dive into today. And um, there will be a few passages up on the screen, but for the most part, we're going to need to get our Bibles out and look at what God has for us and uh, what we can help inform or help redefine uh, this idea of American dream. Let's look at God in word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. And thank you for the worship time, the, uh, the time we've allowed to spend together, the time of singing, um, the time of giving, the time of, of um, really just kind of fellowshipping and getting to know each other. And God, of course, the, the time when we can focus on what you did for us on the cross and coming to this earth. God, I pray that now we can listen intently to your word and allow it to change who we are, change, who, uh, change maybe our perspective of what this life's all about in our work, uh, being our assignment, our, our daily lives, being our, our mission field. And God, help us to take on this perspective today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 12, I'm starting in verse 13. You guys all there with me? Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. I think this guy had some extreme um, guts. I mean, most people come to, come to Jesus and say, Can you please heal my... Can you, can you please fix this about... This guy came to Jesus and he's saying, no, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. 
In Jewish culture, the older sibling, the oldest son, got two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son oftentimes got only a third. Or maybe it was split up even more than that. But this young man is wanting his older brother to share inheritance with him. All right, share some with me. And he's asking Jesus to help him with this. Jesus replies in verse 14. Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We could spend all morning on that one passage, that one verse, and never probably really get it. Jesus is trying to redefine the American dream with one statement. Jesus says it has nothing to do with what you have or what you're able to produce. It's this statement opposite of what we hear from the world. It's completely opposite of what we typically hear from the world. Look at verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. There it is. There it is, the American dream, all in one definition right there. He's like, I'm going to build this, build this bigger barn, and I'm going to store up all my wealth there so I can relax, sit back, and enjoy what I have. This piece of ground, this place, this, this, this place where I can do whatever I want to do and enjoy whatever the surroundings I want to surround myself with. Maybe it's a cabin in the mountain. Maybe it's a house on the beach. Maybe it's time to fish. Maybe it's time to hunt. Maybe it's just camping in the mountains all the time, year round. Jesus' response to our definition of the American dream, we find it in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Jesus is totally telling us we are stupid about life. Let's make this really clear. God's not telling us it's foolish to have stuff. It's because we haven't been rich toward God with our stuff. We have to get it. We have to understand this concept that it's not all about us. It's all about Him. The American dream says, get yours. Make make sure you have plenty. Make sure you can eat, drink, and be merry. God is saying, let me warn you, the American dream is flawed. If you follow it, you'll look like an idiot. All the way to the end. This guy was all about himself. The American dream can learn from bigger barns. There's nothing wrong with receiving blessing from God. There's nothing wrong with having a retirement. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? God gives us all kinds of blessings. Scripture tells us it's wise to store up. And it's, it's wise to have savings. There's nothing wrong with a 401k or a, a retirement plan. The problem comes when we are focused on gaining for our own pleasure, our own gain. 
It needs to be all about God, not all about us. This is what he's telling this guy who's trying to build bigger barns. How about some, how about some self-assessment here? On a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? 1 being maybe you're stingy towards God. And 10 being you're, you're very rich towards God. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you rate yourself? One being, once again, stingy towards God, and rich, ten, being rich towards God. I want you to think about it. With your spouse, maybe even before you leave the parking lot today, talk about it, think about it. We have to realize that we're just simply managers of all the stuff that God has given us. That's our role here. He's given it all. He provides it all. He provides our, our strength, our energy to do all the work that we need to do. We are just his managers. We just provide that management. When you die and you meet the Lord, he's going to ask, what would you do with all the, the resources that I blessed you with? Well, I, I spent it all on my family and, and myself. He's going to be real confused. Is that what you thought? company's business was all about Carson City Nevada recluse whose body was found in his home at least a month after he had died left only $200 in his bank account but as Walter Samasco Jr.'s house was being cleared for sale officials made a surprising discovery in suitcases sporadically placed around the house and in the garage gold bars and coins valued at over seven million dollars nobody had any clue he was hoarding gold carson city clerk recorder alan grover told the las vegas sun adding it was found stored in boxes in the house and the garage the 69 year old smosco was found dead in his home in late june after neighbors called authorities he had been dead of heart problems for at least a month according to the coroner he had lived in this house since the 1960s, and his mother lived with him until her death in 1992. He left no will and no apparent close relatives. By using the list of those who attended his, grand, his, his mother's funeral, Glover's office tracked down Arlene Magdez, a first cousin that lived in San Rafael, California. <clears throat> a recording said her phone number had been disconnected. Our goal is to get most of the money to the air, Glover said. The gold coins had been minted as early as 1840s from countries like Mexico, England, Austria, and South Africa. Based on just the weight of the gold alone, Glover estimated their worth at $7 million. Hmm. When this guy died, he no longer had any of his gold. It wasn't about the real life to come. Walter was all about this life. The American dream is pretty scary. More like a nightmare. When your heart stops beating and you step into eternity, having lived this life all about work and making money for your enjoyment, for your purpose, when you get there, he's going to say, all this I gave you, your talents, your abilities, and what did you do? with what you were given. He's going to go back to this passage and say, what an idiot you were. If you want to use the biblical word, you fool. 
right? Wouldn't it be much better to get there and, and say, ta-da, look what I did. Look what I was able to do with what you gave me. No matter where you are financially, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you're flying into the pit of bankruptcy, maybe you're looking for your next meal, maybe you've got a little nest egg of savings. We have to get this. Carol and I decided very early on, no matter how much or how little we were able to earn financially, first we take that first 10%, and we've made that grow over the years, but we take that first 10% and we give it to the church. We tie, that's a no brainer. But with the rest, we pay bills, we have a little fun here and there, but we are able to be generous, always looking for ways to be generous. Even still, I know when I get there, I'm going to wish I had done more. What can we learn from bigger barns? I think 2 Corinthians puts it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. I think this one, if the screen's working today. Hey, it is. The screen. The screen doesn't have anything to do with it. It says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then and produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who are in need, they will thank God. God says, some of you I've blessed. Some of you I have blessed beyond any other. You call yourself Americans. I have blessed you with so much. What does this verse say? So that we can be generous. That's why he blesses. The American dream can learn from bigger barns. Secondly, the American dream can, look, can learn from, from wasted lives. Uh, I want you to turn with me back to the, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. We know this as the Faith Hall of Fame. The world says our lives are wasted, and um, I, I question this. I, I really do. I don't think our lives are wasted. I don't think there's any, any waste in our lives at all when we are pointing our, our faith and our purpose and our, uh, our resources in the direction of God. Hebrews 11 one says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. God, this is the way I see life going here, this American dream. But, but I know you have said it's different than that. Even though I can't see it, I'm going to trust you. Have faith in you and your way, right? Confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we don't see. God says, live your life this way with what I have given you. The world says, live your life some other way. We have to have faith in God. The list begins with the heroes of faith. We find it in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 13. It says, All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are, are looking forward to a country they call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The American dream is, is temporary. It's not eternal. This great country that we live in, 
America is temporary. We have to play our assignment here so that we can get the existence or have great existence in that country yet to come. Verse 32, look down there in um, chapter 11, verse 32. It says, how much more do I need to say? It will take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these men overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the, store, the, edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned into strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received back loved ones from the dead. Wow. Amazing things to celebrate, right? Phenomenal, amazing things to celebrate. But then reality. Look at the middle of verse 35. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. These people got it. They understood. Some of us may be heroes of faith. Those who get great things accomplished and and are able to, to do amazing things. But then there's others of us, of faith, that will go through struggle after struggle after struggle only able to hold on to our trust in God because everything else has been stripped away the world says it was a wasted life now Hebrews eleven thirty eight says this world was not worthy of them God says no this world's not worthy of their feet they went through total chaos and held up their faith they held on to their faith God's going to be so proud to bring them home But beware the opposite, because it's also true. We could get there and God could say, really? I can't believe you called yourself a follower of me. All I saw you chase was your own American dream. Church, we need to redefine this all-elusive American dream. Wasted lives? I don't believe so. What the world may consider a waste of life being generous to others even where they may not be able to help us get ahead, being being servants of those who are of no benefit to us, those that walk to faith. God said, this world is not worthy of them. And thirdly, we need to learn that uh, from the American dream can learn from 200 pomegranates. Where are you going with this? Follow me to 1 Kings chapter 7. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 7. It'll take me a minute to get there. See if you can beat me there. 1 Kings chapter 7. 
First Second Chronicles, First Second Samuel, First Second Kings, First Second Chronicles. It's all in those first and seconds. First Kings chapter seven. We're gonna start reading in, in verse. Um, we're reading start reading in verse thirteen. Look at it with me. It says King Solomon then asked for a man named Haram to come from Tyre. He was half Israelite since his mother was a widow of the tribe of Naphtali and his father had been a craftsman in bronze from Tyre. Haram was extremely skillful and talented in his work in bronze and he came to, all the metal, he came to do all the metal work for King Solomon. Haram cast two bronze pillars, each 27 feet tall, 18, in, 18 feet in circumference. For the tops of the pillars, he cast bronze capitals, each seven and a half feet tall. Each capital was decorated with seven sets of latticework and interwoven chains. He also encircled the latticework with two rows of pomegranates to decorate the capitals over the pillars. The capitals on the columns inside the entry room were shaped like water lilies, and they were six feet tall. The capitals on the two pillars had how many? 200 pomegranates in two rows around them. I don't know if that means there was 400 pomegranates or, or just 200 each, but either way, lots of detail. Beside the rounded surface next to the lattice work. Verse 21, Haram set the pillars at the entrance of the temple, one toward the south and one toward the north. He named the one um, on the south uh, Jachin and the one to the north Boaz. The capitals on the pillars were shaped like water lilies, and so the work of the pillars was finished. What's the point? Why, why, why are we talking about 200 pomegranates? 12 foot, 27 feet, another 13 feet. This incredible detail of bronze was set on top of these pillars 50 feet in the air. More than 50 feet in the air. How many of you notice things that are more than about eight feet in the air. Obviously, some of you noticed some of the balloons in the room. But think about it. This ceiling is about 25 feet tall. If this pillar was 50 feet tall and it had all of this detail, would you even see it? When you walk into this temple, this amazing attention to detail wasn't even visible. Except... To God. It was for God's eyes only. To come to the end of life and to step into eternity where God is and to say, Tada, look what I did for you. To make every day about His glory for His eyes only. To do your best work for the nail-scarred hands, for an audience of one. Your masterpiece for his kingdom, your assignment for his glory. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of great men and women in the Bible. But you know what they were famous for? For what they did behind the scenes. For what they did when nobody was watching Moses because he was a faithful shepherd. Naomi Naomi because she was a dedicated widow. Ruth because she was a committed daughter-in-law. David because he protected sheep. 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they were dedicated students long before the fiery furnace or lion's den. Joseph, because while a slave, he kept his faith. Jesus, before any miracle began, spent 40 days hungry in the desert. Peter, James, and John told the master their boats and their nets were to be used by him. If you don't get anything else from anything we've talked about this morning, I want you to focus on this passage of scripture that we're going to read next. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. It says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The challenge is this. We spend more than 60% of our lives at work. We need to make the little things count. Not when people are watching, not when the boss is watching, not when other employees are watching. Just because God is watching. What can the American dream learn from 200 pomegranates? It doesn't matter what's on the outside. It doesn't matter what's for show. It matters what's in here. It matters what God's doing on the inside. That's what's the most important. So four keys real quick to end this morning. Four keys to avoiding the nightmare, this scary American dream. Number one, character over clients. Character over clients. Make your character, your integrity, your obedience more important than your boss, your bid, your bottom line, or your clients. Can't sacrifice obedience for the petty things of this life. Don't let reputation entice you to throw out your integrity. Character over clients. The little things. The ones on top of the pillars of life. For an audience of one. Value your character over anything else. Second, family over finances. Make family more important than finances. We say it, but we literally have to be strategic about making our family come before money. No one at the end of their life says, I wish I would have saved, you know, stayed at work a few more extra hours and I wish I would have made a little bit more money. No one says, I wish I would have spent more time at the office. Don't wait till you're on your deathbed to notice your family is more important than your bank account. Family over finances. A dad of three amazing boys in East Texas, an electrical engineer who, getting promoted, moved into up the ladder to success. The company he worked for was one of the leading, on the leading edge of robotic automation in the manufacturing industry. He and his company, in newspapers and magazine articles left and right, his boy's so proud of their dad. The oldest boy, senior in high school, about the third week in, his dad came home from work and told the family the company had let him go. He was fired. It was tough to make ends meet that year. The family car was the only option for dates and there wasn't any money for dates anyway. It wasn't until several years later when the young man came home from college to try to find his birth certificate. His mom said, it's probably in there, in your dad's important, important papers file. So as the young man rifles through the files, he came across his dad's resume. Interesting find. Then, right there in the file next to, the, next to it, he found a letter 
of resignation. The boy's father wasn't fired his senior year in high school. His dad had resigned. The letter, the letter dated the second week of the boy's senior year simply said, Gentlemen, I want to thank you for this incredible privilege that it has been to work here. It's been an amazing journey and an amazing ride. It has exceeded all of our expectations. I hate to do this, but I told you several months ago that my boy plays football and he has eight games left and I won't miss another game. Effective immediately, I have to resign. The young man, 23 years old, realized dad never got fired. He gave it all up to sit in the stands and hope that on this down they would throw to the tight end. He wouldn't have to just block. He sat there in the stands just to watch the linebacker make a few tackles under those Friday night lights. Church, it's family over finances. The kids don't care if they have the best of everything. They just want to spend time with you. They don't care if you live in a two-bedroom rental or if you're a homeless shelter called the Angel House. Your kids just want to be with you. Hearing Dad's booming voice coming from the stands after getting up from a tackle is way better than having a car and money to spare. Family over finances. You can't, we can't stress this one enough. Number three, faith over feelings. Hebrews says, let me tell you about those who didn't feel like going through the troubles. Who didn't feel like losing a loved one to cancer. Who didn't feel like changing jobs four times in three months. People who didn't feel like dealing with watching their kids go through trauma. Who didn't feel like life was, was all roses. They had faith. Hebrews says, let me tell you about a world who's not worthy of their footprints. This world says, no, it's a, it's a waste. I want what feels good. I want to be comfortable. We have to have faith over feelings. Is there sacrifice? Yeah, there is, but it's worth it. And number four, kingdom over company. Our father's business is all about what makes him smile. People helping people, parents involved in their children's lives, neighbors helping neighbors, friends praying for friends, putting love into action. Love does. When we get there on that day, when he calls us home, we want to be there saying, I was all about your kingdom, not about mine. Wherever you rated yourself on that continuum between stingy and rich, learn to start moving that, that number up one step at a time. Closer to completely sold out to Jesus Christ. He gave it all up for you. We need to keep this American dream from becoming a nightmare. Keep it all in perspective. His perspective. Hope there's been some things that I've been able to share this morning that can benefit 
hope we can redefine what that American dream looks like. 200 pomegranates or maybe it's bigger barns or maybe it's what the world says were, were wasted lives. We need to inform our American dream from what God says. I think I have a video um, that I want to show uh, right now and um, hopefully it'll play for us and then, um, and then we'll close. Let's look to God in word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for being our God, for taking great care of us. God, I pray that as we pursue you, that we will not be affected by this, this worldly idea, the American dream. God, help us to be intentional. Help us to choose daily to follow you. God, thank you for uh, the things that we've run into today, the things that we've put our, our lives up against, your word, and comparing it with our own, our, our own lives. God, I pray that we will change who we are to be more like what you want us to be. God, thank you for, for what you've shared with us today. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning once again, and uh, pray that pray that you can uh, be encouraged by being here. And uh, we want to, uh, once again, thank everyone who had a, had a hand in Blast Off. It was an amazing time, an amazing day. And um, so it's a very good thing. So... Uh
You're dismissed. <laughs>